good, good. Welcome back to our series, Pray First. We were supposed to end last week, but I just felt like the Lord told me to, to press in a little bit further this morning. So I'm going to continue one more week with prayer, and I believe today we're going to get something. I just really feel in my spirit that something's going to happen today to somebody. It's already happened to me. I believe it's going to happen to somebody. And I believe that the Lord wants me this morning to press something in. I feel like he's telling me to hammer something in that needs to be hammered in, that we're not quite done with this whole prayer issue. And so we're going to continue with that this morning. How many of you know we live in some crazy times right now? I mean, seriously, I would not want to be a police officer right now. I mean, craziest times I've ever seen in my life. In 41 years, it's the craziest times I've ever seen. I was, I was there when Rodney King, that whole thing went down, and we had the big race riots and all that. My best friend got jumped at school. We, I jumped in with him and got in a big old fight. I've been through some crazy things, but let me tell you something. Today is crazy. When you got people that can walk up to somebody else and shoot them and then turn around and kill themselves without a, a guilty conscience, we're in a desperate place in America. Right? There's some crazy times we're living in right now. And I believe that God's not satisfied with the times we're living in. I believe that he's not happy with what's going on. I believe all of heaven was crying when they buried that state trooper yesterday. Crazy times call for crazy measures. Crazy times don't call for for squelch back and hide. When the pressure's on, as believers, we're not called to go find a corner and hide. If that's true, then the power of the Holy Spirit is dead. Right? If that's true, if we hide in the corner and we just protect our little selves and we just hide and we don't say anything and we don't do anything about what's going on around us, I go, man, do you even love God? Do you even have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Because I believe if you've got this, the power and the spirit of God living inside of you, when things like this happen, it should do something to you. Right? It should stir something up inside of you. Not that it would make you go attack another flesh, but it would make you go to war in the spiritual realms. Because our battle's not flesh and blood. Our battle is in the spiritual realms. But if we never get out of our closets and start to battle, then nothing ever changes. Today, more than ever, the church has to rise up. Today is the day that our Savior's Church of Eunice, this little bitty community of believers right here, has to rise up. And I believe that's what I'm here to do this morning. So I plan on giving you a swift kick in the butt this morning. I got permission. Is that okay, Travis? Can I kick you? Okay, all right. Travis said I can kick him. I want to show you something. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, I want to show you something. I want to teach you, before I really get into the message, I want to teach you a a new word. It's actually an old word, but it's a new word, and it's really become new in my life over the last couple of weeks. And I was kind of hesitant to talk about it, but I figured I'd just throw it out there, and we'll see what happens. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 10, says this. It says, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. And caused him grief. You need to remember that verse right there. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Talking about Christ. It was God's good plan to crush Christ and to cause him grief. Sounds weird, doesn't it? 
Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Verse 11, the verse I want to focus on. When he sees, talking about Christ, when Christ sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, say anguish, he will be satisfied. There's another word for the word anguish. If you go to the King James version of the Bible, it says to travail. It says when he travailed, when he pushed in, he's going to be satisfied with the results of what he did. You see, Christ is looking for satisfaction in what he did. He doesn't want to say that he went to the cross in vain. He doesn't want to say that he went to the grave for not, right, in your life. He may be satisfied with T-Boy's life, but what is he satisfied with in your life? Is he satisfied that the work in your life has been accomplished? Is he satisfied that there's been enough change to get you out of your seat and cause you to do something? Because you see, he travailed. And so let me give you the definition of that word because I I just want you to to learn this word. Just just this morning, real quick, To, to travail, it's actually an old school word. The old saints, the old intercessors used to use this word all the time. Miss Mary, you know this word. It's, it's travail. It actually means labor pain. So let me give you a definition. A form of intensive intercession given by the Holy Spirit, whereby an individual or group is gripped by something that grips God's heart. The individual or group labors with him for an opening to be created so that the new life can come forth. Labor, pain, labor, pain. You see, the church today is too comfortable. The, ter- the church today is too satisfied. We get a little touch from God and a little moment here and a little thing there. And we say, oh, man, this is so great. We're satisfied. The question this morning is, is what are you laboring over? What are you gripping on the heaven and saying, God, I need an opening. I need something to burst through. I need a new life in this situation. Come on. What are you laboring for this morning? Because Christ, here's the deal. Christ was laboring for us. His anguish was for you. God caused him to be crushed and grieved for you. Because God needed a, he needed a solution to a problem. The problem was sin, sickness, and disease. And the solution was Jesus Christ giving his life on the cross and then going into the grave for three days and then coming out with the keys to the kingdom. Come on, somebody. And then the, the, because of those keys, we now have freedom. Freedom from our sin. Freedom from sickness. Freedom from disease. Right? He anguished. He grieved. I'll show you another, another example of travail. Go with me to Galatians chapter 4. How many of you like that word travail? How many of you are ready to go through some birth pains? I'm not going to make you show your hands. I don't want you to lie in church. <laughs> chapter 4 verse 19. Paul, Paul went to Galatia and he birthed the church in Galatia. He labored physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally for the church in Galatia. 
And then all of a sudden, these, these Judaizers came in. We just finished a series on this not too long ago. These Judaizers came in, and they started introducing a false gospel. They started trying to attach legalism and religion to the gospel that the church was built on. And so Paul went into Galatia, and he labored hard, and he worked hard, and he, he did incredible things. And I believe he travailed in prayer. I believe he pressed through in every corner that he just went at it wholeheartedly to, to establish a church in Galatia and then to go off and to probably go into prison and then to hear letters from them and to receive letters that they're now believing a lie. They're believing a false gospel that somebody came in and hoodwinked the church. Somebody came in and shanghaied the church. Somebody came in and introduced a little bit of, a little bit of false doctrine, a little bit of legalism, a little bit of religion that started going against the freedom that they were built on. So what it did to the church is it took the church from having a free relationship with Christ and that they were made right with God because of what Christ did on the cross and not because of their works. And it turned it into a thing where because I work hard and because I do this or don't do that, Christ loves me. See, it's a very subtle change religion is. Religion says I do good works so that God will love me. The gospel says you do good works because Christ loves me. The only difference in those two sentences is so and because. So where are you at today? Are you doing good works so that you can get God to love you more? Are you being a good little boy and a good little girl so that Christ will love you more? So that you can get closer to him? Are you doing the good things that you do because he loves you? Because he first loved you. Because he loved you before you were born. Because he loved you before you were even in your mother's womb. Paul was upset. There was something that just wasn't right. Somebody came in and messed with the work of his hands. And as believers, you need to take some authority over the work of your hands. If you're spending time praying for people and somebody comes in and tries to hoodwink them, you need to pray. You need to take some authority. When your kids are going astray, don't sit there and wonder why. Get on your knees and pray. What you can't do in the natural, God can do in the supernatural. Amen? Don't just sit aside and say, oh, well, they just got to go through this. It's a teenage thing. Bull. I'm going to have to face it too because every kid goes through a teenage year. Verse 19, watch what Paul says. He says, oh, my dear children. Oh, my dear children. I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Paul went through labor pains again for the church. What was his labor pain? That the church would be fully developed with Christ inside of them. That Christ would be fully developed in the church. So when somebody came in with a false doctrine and a false religion, that Christ was so developed inside of them that they could look at that and see it coming down the road and say, Oh, no, Jack. No. I love God and I do good works because he loves me. 
That's what Paul was after. He wanted the church to stand on its own two feet and for Christ to be fully developed in them so that when the enemy comes and when temptation comes, they have the thing they need to stand. What are you seeing this? Paul says, I'm laboring for you again. Paul was all the way in prison in another town. Watch what he says after this. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. I'll never forget the time I prayed for my dad. My dad was going through his fourth divorce. And, and he, was, he was just torn down. I mean, he was, he was bad, bad shape. And because he couldn't sleep, because he was tormented, he would get up at 4 or 5 in the morning and he would go and walk on the track at the high school he was principal of every morning. I remember when he called me and told me what was going on, he was broken. And I'd been praying for him, but I kind of stepped it up a notch. Because there was something that I couldn't do in praying for my dad. I couldn't physically be there with him. He was four hours away from me. He was in Texas around the Marshall area. And I couldn't physically be there with him. I could call him ten times a day, but it wouldn't have mattered. I wasn't physically there. So I remember being on my knees one night and just being burdened for my dad. And burdened by the fact that I couldn't do anything physically about it. And I remember I prayed this. I said, Lord, I can't go. But you send a man. You send a Holy Ghost man. You see the man filled with your spirit that knows your word and ain't afraid to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go walk on a track because you told him to. The next morning, this big old Holy Ghost man shows up at 4 o'clock in the morning to walk on the same track with my daddy. And I remember talking to my daddy. He says, man, Hey, this guy walked in the track this morning. I've been the only one for three or four weeks now. And this guy just shows up, starts walking. He said, I said, well, did you talk to him? He said, yeah, I talked to him. I was like, you the man, God. Oh, yeah, baby. I was fired. On, I was on the... We got to get excited. I prayed and God did. Four hours away. By the weekend, my daddy was in a spirit-filled church, sitting up in a worship service. They dimmed the lights like we do, and the Spirit of God hit my daddy, and he fell on his knees in tears. He had an experience with God that he never would have had if I never would have prayed, if I never would have labored for him, if I never would have pushed in. God, are you hearing me this morning? You never know what's on the other side of your prayer. You never know what God's going to do when you begin to cry out and to do things with boldness and confidence that he's going to show up. You never know. You never know till you try. Amen? Paul was upset. He was locked in a prison. He couldn't physically go and fix the church, but he cried out to God and he went through labor pains. He travailed in the spirit. He, he, that's when you pray so hard that you begin to feel your guts turning and you begin to feel some pain. You begin to feel things that you've never felt before. So that's what it means to travail. 
Go with me to Matthew. Chapter 26. Matthew 26. I'm going to set this up real quick. It's coming to the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. He's been walking with his disciples for quite some time now. Let me ask you this. Did you know that if you took all the events of the Bible in the Gospels and you, and you compiled them and you put a date on them, it would really only be like a couple of weeks of Jesus' life? It's not a very long time. What we read is not very long. It's just really a glimpse at what Christ did. You've got you to imagine this. Every day something was happening. And the disciples were walking with him every day. I can't believe that Jesus took the day off. I mean, dear goodness, he got ridiculed by the religious folks for doing things on Sunday or on the Sabbath, right? I mean, he's a rebel. (laughs) He's a troublemaker. But all, all the events we read in the four Gospels, if you compiled them and put a date on them, there would only be a couple of days or a couple of weeks in Jesus's life. So things were happening all the time. And the disciples were right there with him. I mean, that's full-time ministry. Can I get an amen? That's full-time ministry. So they're coming to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, and he, he, the one thing that he's got in mind, just one of the things, is that he's got to establish his church on the earth. Okay, something has to be established. Something has to be planted and built. So he's been spending this time with 12 guys, building them so that when he ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit descends and they get filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that the church gets birthed and things start to happen. So that way Jesus can go back to heaven, the Holy Spirit now stays on earth, and the church begins to get built. Why? So that God's kingdom can get built. Are you seeing this? So Jesus, towards the end of his ministry in, in chapter 26, he's, it's, it's, he knows what's coming. He knows how soon it's coming. He knows his time is coming. The pressure's starting to build in his own life. I believe his teachings got more serious. I believe his, his quiet times with his men got more serious. I believe his, his, his prayer times in the garden got real serious. Come on, when you know something's about to happen, you start to get a little more serious. When there's a tornado, I mean, when there's a hurricane in the Gulf and it passes by Florida and it gets out in the open, everybody starts to get a little more. How do you know? Because you can't find batteries. The price of gas goes up. The price of ice goes up. Right? Everything goes up because there's a hurricane in the Gulf. We get serious about a hurricane, right? I'm telling you today, you need to get serious about America's condition. We got to get serious about what's going to happen and what's happening now. So Jesus is there. He's with his disciples. All of a sudden, they're in this meeting place, and this woman comes in with this bottle of perfume, and she begins to anoint Jesus or bathe him with this perfume. And the disciples start complaining, oh, we could have sold that and, and, and took some money and gave it to the poor. And Jesus, using every advantage he can to teach somebody, says, guys, listen to me. The poor you'll always have with you, but I won't be here much longer. She's preparing me for death. So he's doing everything in his power to prepare his disciples. So they go a little further, and then <clears throat> at the same time, Judas was over there making a deal in the corner. And then we get to the Last Supper in, in verse 17, and it says, 
It says they, the disciples were together and Jesus starts talking about this and that and about what's coming. And he takes some bread and he breaks the bread and he says, guys, I want you to take this. They're all sitting at a table. He says, I want you to take this. This is my body that's about to be broken. And so they do. And then he takes the wine and he says, here, I want you to drink this because this is my blood that's about ready to be shed. Serious moment. The tension is high. You could cut it with a knife. It was that thick. All this is going on. And Jesus, in the midst of all this, he goes, oh, by the way, one of you is going to betray me. And all the disciples start saying, not me. Is it me, Lord? Is it me? Is it me? No, it's not you. Is it me? No, this is dinner, y'all. This is dinner. At dinner. And Judas goes, is it me? He goes, yep. I'm going, why didn't Peter jump up right then and there? Why didn't somebody say something? It's just like just the weirdest thing to me. I just, you're going to betray me. Okay. 12 guys sitting at the table, 13. So they finish up supper. And then Jesus prophesies over Peter. He says, Peter. You're going to deny me. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Ah, no. Stop clowning, man. I'd never do that. I'll go to the grave with you, Lord. I'll I'll go to prison with you, Lord. I'll do this for you, Lord. Come on, sound familiar? Like when you first gave your life to Jesus? I'll do anything for you, Lord. I'm yours, Lord. Everything I have is yours, Lord. Take it all, Lord. Right? And then we get past the honeymoon of Christianity and we start taking things back. And we start, it's my time, it's my things, I got this and I got that. And we find ourselves right where Peter's at. Where we made declarations that I was going to do this and I was going to do that. I believe Peter had an opportunity to. So they take off from the supper place and we pick up in verse 36. It says, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here a while. He took his disciples with him. He said, told his disciples, he said, sit here a while. He said, sit here while I go over to pray. He took Peter, James, and John a little bit further into the garden. And he became anguished and distressed. So the other disciples are in one spot. He takes Peter and James and John a little bit further along. And he says to him, I'm becoming anguished and distressed. And he said this, he said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. You remember Isaiah? That was a prophecy in Isaiah. That it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Jesus' statement to to Peter, James, and John, his three most intimate disciples. He says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So it's the moment, y'all. You got to get this. It's the moment. The pressure's high. The tension's thick. Jesus is in the garden. He knows what's coming. He knows he's getting ready to lay his life down. He knows that something has to happen for sin to be dealt with, for sickness to be dealt with, for the God's plan to come forth. Something had to happen. He's going to have to lay his life down. And he's anguished and he's crushed with grief. And he brings his three closest friends with him. He says, look, guys, just stay here and watch or or stay here and travail or stay here and pray. Guys, look, I'm in bad shape right now. I just need you to pray. I need you to do something, guys. Just just stay focused. Stay with me. 
And Jesus, the Bible says, walks off a stone's throw away, and he gets on his knees, and he cries out to the Father. And he says, Lord, if there's any other way to do this, can we do it? But if that's not your will, let your will be done. Then he comes back to Peter, James, and John, his three best buddies, and they're sleeping. Imagine how Jesus felt when his three good buddies are sleeping. I mean, the Bible says that, that he, he prayed so hard that his sweat fell to the ground like blood. I don't know about you. I've sweat a lot in my life, but I've never sweat that much. He was travailing so hard. He was laboring so hard for the very guys that were sitting there supposed to keep watch. He was travailing. He was laboring in prayer. He was going for it. Lord, if there's any other way to do this, but not my will, but yours. And he comes back and And so he wakes him up. Get up. What the heck? I'd have slapped him in the back of the head. I'd be like, they'd have had the great awakening. I mean, it'd be like, I'm praying my guts out and you sleeping. (laughs) Just me. Watch what Jesus says. Yeah, only me, whatever. I know the rest of you here. Turn to his disciples, verse 40. And he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Didn't that verse hit you? That verse should have just punched you in the nose. Couldn't you watch with me one hour? Dear goodness, I gave you 24 hours in a day. Can you not give me one? Can can I just get one? One's not even a tithe of your day. One's like half of a tithe. Can I just get one hour? Come on, guys, do you not understand how serious this is? Come on, guys, do you not realize what's getting ready to happen? Can you not just give me one hour? Can I just just get one? One hour out of your 24? Can you give me one? Keep watching, pray. So that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing. But the body is weak. The spirit is willing. But the body is weak. I don't believe we have a spirit problem. I take that back. I don't believe we have a body problem. I believe we have a spirit problem. Doesn't make sense what I just said, does it? We've got a body problem. Or do we have a spirit problem? You see, the Bible says to be led by the spirit and not the flesh. In other words, the spirit is supposed to tell the body what to do, not the body tell the spirit what to do. Come on now. I understand when the body gets strong. I understand what that's like. I've been trying to lose weight. Let me tell you, I didn't have a good week. The body was strong. The spirit was weak. The only solution to my problem was to pray harder and longer. Right? So that the spirit man would become stronger inside of me than the flesh man. I get sleepy. 
I got the gift of sleep. It's a spiritual gift. I, I use it every day. If we're not stirring up the spirit man inside of us, then who is? Are you just coming here on Sunday just so I can stir your spirit man up? My stick's big, but it ain't that big. I got my own spirit man to stir up. If you're just waiting on Sunday to get your spirit stirred, I'm sorry, you're in bad shape. Because Monday's coming. If you're not stirring your spirit, who is? Because you see, the responsibility to stir your spirit is yours, not anybody else's. So Jesus walks back after rebuking Peter. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Get this. This is the greatest prayer meeting in history. The greatest prayer meeting in history. These words we're reading, these aren't the only words Jesus prayed. If you go to John, you can see some other words that he prayed. I believe Jesus wasn't just asking God to take this cup from him. I believe he was anguishing over us. He was wanting it to come to pass. He was believing for his disciples. He was believing for the church to be birthed. It was more than just take this cup away. This is the greatest prayer meeting in history and his disciples are sleeping. This is the greatest time in history for the church to rise up, but we're sleeping. We're sleeping. We're sleeping on the job. And I'm telling you this morning, Jesus told me to come and wake you up. He said, you got to get up. You got to wake up. The only way America changes is when the church starts to pray. You can elect a new president, you can elect a new governor, you can elect new officials, you can put everybody in office that you want to be there, and nothing changes. But until the church starts to pray, the Bible says it, unless you humble yourselves and pray, if you humble yourselves and pray, I will come and heal your land. America needs the church to pray. They don't know it. They don't know what they need. They think they need a new president. They don't need a new president. They need a church to rise up. But if we'll keep sleeping, nothing's going to change. If we don't start to travail and press in. Can I get one hour? Just one? Can I get one hour? Just one? One hour? Out of your busy schedule? One hour out of your day? Can I get one? When he returned to them again, he found them, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. 
I'm thinking, dear goodness, Jesus just prophesied to you, Peter, that you was going to deny him three times. If not pray with Christ, you should have at least been praying for yourself. Right? I mean, that was one of them, dear Lord, pray, dear Lord, don't let me be stupid. Dear Lord, protect me. Dear Lord, save me. I don't want to deny Jesus three times. Help me. Sleeping on the job. He told them what time it was. He told them what was coming. They were not ignorant. The church today is not ignorant. The church today is asleep. And it needs to wake up. It's on the news. It's more on the news. It's more in your face than it's ever been. They can't even say anything good on the news because there's too much bad to talk about. Because good don't sell. Bad sells. Good is a lost thing. We don't need to be told anything else other than pray. We've been told what time it is. We're closer to Jesus' return than we've ever been. When he shows up, are you going to be sleeping? I'm sorry, this ain't a fun message and you know, I ain't sorry. You know, I'm not sorry because if this church right here wakes up today and these people right here in these pews wake up today and we just start to give God an hour a day before you know, we're going to be giving him two hours because we don't want to go to work because we're in the presence of God. Come on, somebody. I believe that when this church rises up and starts to pray for this city, for this state and for this nation, that things are going to change. It's going to start somewhere Jesus came out of Bethlehem, the smallest one around. Why can't he come out of Eunice? Come on, somebody. Why can't the revival of the United States come out of Eunice? Why can't it? What's stopping us? Us. We're the only ones stopping us. Just pray and just believe and just cry out to God. Labor for something. What's your burden? Check yourself. Check your pulse. Are you still alive? What happened to the fire you had when you first met Jesus? What happened to that burning thing inside of you? Who who poured water on it? Who put the fire out? You see, this is how it works. You give your life to Jesus, you can believe him for a parking spot at Walmart, which is a miracle in itself. Front row, baby. I got front row faith when you're first saved, right? Then what happens? Six months later, the, the honeymoon's over and you're parking in the back. What happened? What happened? God don't love you no more? He's only good for six months? Our own, you, our own. <laughs> Are you only good for six months? Who's stirring up your spirit? Who's keeping the relationship fresh and new? Who's doing it? Whose responsibility is it to do it? For me and my house, it's mine. I'm responsible for my household. As a man, I set the spiritual thermometer. I set the spiritual gauge for my family. If I don't pray, they're not going to pray. If I don't lead, they're not going to follow. 
If I'm sitting on my blessed assurance waiting on Jesus to do something to me, it's not going to happen. Because he's not going to force himself on his church. Watch what he did. He woke Peter up. He gave him a chance. He said, wake up, man, and pray that you don't fall into temptation. Jesus turns around. He starts praying again. Starts travailing again. Starts pressing in again. He comes back. They're sleeping again. Watch what he says. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time saying the same things again. Then he came back to his disciples and said this, go ahead and sleep. I don't want him to say that about me. I don't want him to get fed up with me. I believe he's looking for people in the church today that are going to stay awake. People in the church today that are going to keep their eyes on what he's doing. They're going to be aware of the times that they're living in. And they're not going to see it through eyes of fear, but they're going to see it through eyes of faith. And they're going to see this time that we're living in now as a great opportunity for a great awakening of God to happen. This isn't a bad thing. This is a good thing. Evil's going to come and evil's going to go. But the church will always rise up. And the church will always accomplish what Christ died on the cross for. Come on, somebody. Here's the secret. If you don't rise up, God's going to do it with somebody else. He's not just waiting on you. You're just going to get to miss out on the experience. You ever not go somewhere because you were tired or maybe being lazy? So you said, I'm not going. And all your friends and everybody else you know went. And they come back with this great story. Man, it was so good, man. How you feel? God, I wish I wouldn't have been so lazy. Wish I could have went. God, I don't want to feel like that. I don't want to walk into heaven one day. And, and, and everybody's rejoicing over what T-Boy and, and all them kids did. And I never got to be a part of because I was just being lazy and selfish and self-centered. I don't want that to happen. I don't want that guilt. I don't want that feeling that I missed out on something. I want to be involved in what God's doing. Come on, I done tried what the world's got to offer. It just leaves me hungover. It just leaves me hung over. It leaves me worse off than I started. I want to be in what's happening. I want to be where the, where the action is. Come on, son. I don't want to be on the sidelines. Just, oh, man, God's doing something great over there. Hallelujah. <laughs> if you ever see me like that, hit me. Kick me in the butt, Miss Mary. She can't reach that high. <laughs> She'll pray for me, though. She'll kick my butt in the spirit. I'm convinced 100% that if this body of believers right here, right now, will commit to pray, and to attack hell with a water pistol, we're going to see some things happen. We've been praying for 21 days. We've been here from Monday to Friday at 6 a.m., praying our guts out for a solid hour. It's been fun. Every day, let me give you this little tip, every day it got better and better. 
Every day it got deeper and deeper. Every day it got richer and richer. Every day we went a little bit longer. Every day somebody else had something to say about what the Holy Spirit was revealing to them. Every day it got better. As the church begins to pray, it's going to get better. Every day it's going to get better. You may have to press in and, 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 and self-discipline yourself to do it, but one day it's going to become a lifestyle, and one day you're going to love it, and one day you're going to center your life around your prayer time. Your life's going to revolve around your time with Jesus instead of Jesus revolving around your time. One day. We don't need anything else. We got everything we need to see revival start, to see the world change, to see your marriage saved, to see your your children rescued, to see the lost get found. To see the sick get healed. You got everything you need already. The power of the spirit is living inside of you. You got the word of God inside of you. You got all of heaven standing up as a cloud of witnesses. Cheering you on. Come on man. Bunch of Bobby Boucher. You can do it. Hey, they got Cajuns in heaven yet. I'm telling you, they're cutting up. They're talking in French. I don't know how to talk in French. I'd say it, but. So what do we do? What do we do now? I did what I'm supposed to do. And I haven't just given you a responsibility. I want you to know this responsibility is mine also. I didn't just preach to you today. I preached to myself today. Stand up with me.